8.43, and the diplomatic and trade conflict between Canada and China continues to deteriorate after a Beijing court sentenced to death a Canadian man for his involvement in a scheme seven years ago to manufacture methamphetamine in China. It's the second time for a Canadian citizen to be handed this verdict over drug offences this year and since the arrest of a senior Huawei executive in Vancouver last December. Let's go on the scene to Beijing. Jing, first of all, then we'll go on the scene to Canada. Uh, we've got Nathan van der Klip, Asia correspondent for The Globe and Mail. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So 11 people sentenced uh, as part of this latest drug case. Uh, we've got an American, also four Mexican citizens, but one Chinese-born Canadian who, because of this China dispute, seems to be attracting much of the attention. Is this really related to the Huawei case, do you think? These things are very hard to say because, of course, uh, no, no one no one will formally make a link, um, and, and I think that's true uh, with the with the other um, death sentence for another Canadian, a, a man named Robert Schellenberg, uh, which came down uh, earlier this year as well. Um, but in both cases, you have um, you have uh, trials um, that, uh, in some cases, uh, were hastily held. Uh, retrials in the case of Robert Schellenberg that, that was held very, very quickly um, and resulted in a very quick uh, uh, death sentence. Um, and in the case of Fanway, um, you have uh, people who have been arrested, a group of people who have been arrested uh, since 2012, were tried in 2013 and waited for many, many years uh, for a sentence. And then suddenly this sentence uh, comes down in the midst of the dispute with Canada. And in fact, um, for part of the reason we know that Fanway is Canadian is because uh, Chinese state media uh, went to some lengths to, to point that out uh, specifically. So uh, is it related? Is it not? I mean, China does have very severe uh, punishments for, for uh, drug crimes. Uh, but on the other hand, um, it, it, it's hard not to look at the timing in some of these things and, and raise that question. We don't know precise details on China's uh, number of executions. It's classified as a state secret. Amnesty International tells us China carries out thousands of executions a year, though. How are drug crimes perceived in the country? And can we say that this was a particularly harsh handling of these foreign nationals? I, I mean, the Chinese argument would be very much not. Um, and there is, uh, there is history of, 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 in fact, a couple of Canadians in the past. We don't know their names, but we've been told by a former Canadian ambassador that at least two Canadians or two uh, have been sentenced uh, to death or have been executed, actually, in China in the past. Uh, we know of other cases of other foreign nationals who have been executed in the past. The Chinese drug laws are, 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 are written incredibly strictly. Uh, possession of uh, just 50 grams of heroin or methamphetamine is enough. Um, to, under the law at least, uh, trigger the death sentence. Um, and there's, there's a series of very, very strict punishments. Uh, d- drug crime is, is one of the major reasons for executions in, in China alongside murder. Um, and you also have, uh, the Chinese authorities have said in the past decade, something like over 1.3 million people who have been sentenced to sort of mandatory detox centers in which they can be put through forced labor and held for, for in fact, many years. Um, so, so the sentencing... Uh, regime here and, and the criminal regime, the legal regime against a, a drug crime is is, is very uh, severe indeed. Yeah, and China's not alone in having a very strict drug policy then, but it's just the thousands of people being killed as a very vague estimate that's clearly going to concern people when China is holding the standing that it does on the global stage. Uh, let's 
just get a bit more of your own personal experience, if we may, while we're talking to you, though. You're a Canadian journalist. You're based in China at a time when China is being perceived as a country that's very dangerous for Canadians. Well, how does that square with your experience there? Well, I, I should say, uh, I mean, my experience here is, is like that of any other foreign journalist, in, in which you know I, I have uh, I've received my, my share of attention from uh, from Chinese authorities for, for for trying to do my work, uh, but at no time have I felt like I was physically um, in danger. Um, that has thankfully continued to be the case over these last few months. Um, but I mean, I, I think for for large parts of the Canadian community, uh, this has been an unnerving time to spend time. Uh, in China, uh, and in part uh, that's because of, of, of the headlines, and it's in part because uh, that there is a sense among uh, among people that uh, you know uh, there's a question about the degree to which um, uh, the the past can can still be used uh, to to predict the future. I mean that, that there is a there is a feeling that um, in the detention of several Canadians, one of whom is a former diplomat, still technically on the government of Canada's payroll, although he had been seconded to another position uh, for, uh, for, for an independent group. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the detention of someone, someone like that, uh, I think, has, has felt to, to some Canadians as if uh, what had been the red lines in the past had been breached and, and that it's difficult to predict what the future might be. And I, I, I know numerous people, in fact, um, who either left China for lengthy periods or have said that they uh, will not return to China anytime soon. There are also, of course, many Canadians who continue to travel to China without problems. Um, but it's been, uh, for many people, an unnerving time. Well, understandably so. Thank you, Nathan Vanderclip, Asia correspondent for the Global Mail, for joining us first of all today. Thanks for having me. Um, let's also get over to Canada, to Ottawa, as we continue this discussion with Paul Vieira, Ottawa correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. Good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning. So what's your general sense on this? Is this a, a dispute that's escalating further? Was it starting to tail off before this recent drug case came up? Is that definitely a link that you would personally make? Or are you hesitant? Uh, can you just weigh in on some of those questions yourself? Well, I, I, I think this is with the, um, with the whole canola issue... Uh, and now I, I, I would just say that there's a sense of heightened, uh, tension and anxiety here about the state of Canada, China, uh, relations and whether or not China is, um, you know, is going to exert even more pressure on Canada, uh, in light of the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. Um, and that was done in, that was done in December. Uh, you know, we've just had, we've, we've had a number of, uh, cases, the two detainees, and now we have two, uh, now we have two, uh, Canadian nationals sentenced to death, uh, and now we have, uh, canola seed, uh, exports apparently banned. No, not apparently, but they are banned, and, uh, and now there are threats about other products, and there was a scare, yeah. uh, last week about pork. So we're, we're it's a it's a state of heightened tension here. Well, at a time when China seems to be needing to rely on a few pork imports, given its own issues with uh, African swine yeah. fever that we've talked about on the show. But I mean, not going off on too much of a tangent, can we draw a line between economic measures and these human rights concerns? We in South Korea know all about Chinese 
economic measures after the deployment of third missile defense for example here in south korea and 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 these seemingly bullying economic tactics are are one thing but but would china have crossed that line and and without good reason detain canadian well, citizens of course many people think yes the answer is yes what what's your view well well as a, the people i've spoken to as opposed to my view but the people i've spoken to are pretty well versed in um, China um, are con- and foreign policy uh, are convinced that there is a link between the detainees and the economic measures, uh, the Canadian detainees and the economic measures against Canada that we've seen in recent, uh, now seen in recent weeks and months, that there is a connection between the rest of the Huawei um, chief financial officer and everything that's transpired. Um, uh, that that uh, the government, uh, at least on recent economic measures, the um, the trade minister, the agriculture minister are reluctant to make that link. Uh, but uh, and even the foreign affairs minister. Uh, but I think there is a definite. Uh, uh, I think people outside of the government uh, channels are definitely making the link and saying that this is no accident. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate, especially in your position for the Wall Street Journal, you can't elaborate too much on your own personal stance on these. But do you also have the sense that the U.S. could be doing more? Is that a feeling that you have from others? I certainly had the impression when South Korea was affected by the third standoff that that South Korea was kind of left alone on that and, and left alone to bear the economic burden. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Canada's had a lot of luck trying to get um, the Trump administration's ears e- ear on a number of issues. I mean, I think we've had reports in recent days about, you know, Canada, Canadian officials on the verge to ask the U.S. to sort of intervene and try to make good uh, or try to help Canada out on these uh, on these recent Canada-China issues. Um, I've yet to confirm that uh, through my own reporting, but you know, uh, to date we haven't. There hasn't been a lot of luck on the Canadian side. I mean, we still have we still have uh, tariffs on U.S. tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum on national security grounds. And this is a the Canada and the U.S. are not just NATO uh, partners; they're also partners in NORAD, which are meant to protect the uh, North American airspace. Air so, um, I, I think it's kind of a tough time for Canada uh, in trying to get help uh, from Washington. But we'll see what happens. What about the idea of being a Canadian journalist? In China right now, our previous guest that we spoke to uh, seemed to suggest that, well, his experience is like that of any foreign journalist there. Uh, and, and he's obviously still prepared to be active there uh, in Beijing. Is, is that a concern yet that you've heard raised among fellow journalists, uh, either at the Wall Street Journal or elsewhere, that it, that it might not be a great place for Canadian journalists to be based? I haven't heard that. I mean, the Canadian... Uh, you know, the Canadian government has, you know, they have not issued any stern travel warnings for people going to 
Canadians wishing to go to China, but you know they're they're saying about uh, precautions and such. Um, you know, this is kind of a this is kind of unusual territory uh, for Canada. You have to remember the context and all this is kind of um, it's almost not upside down, but it's it's a real marked change uh, when they, this government, when the Liberal government came into power, one of their initial ambitions was trying to really expand the relationship with China, especially uh, when it came to trade and the economy. And, you know, for the last now uh, nearly four or five months, we've had kind of a U-turn where Canada is sort of on the defensive and this government is um, sort of having to battle or deal with questions of Canada not being tough enough. Yes, it certainly is a a challenging scenario from a government perspective as well right now. We'll watch closely. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for being on the scene. Paul Vieira for the Wall Street Journal in Ottawa. Thank you. And that's um, just about our show for today. We have been hearing about a major earthquake this morning, 7.2 magnitude in Papua New Guinea. No possibility of a tsunami reported and no injuries either so far. But hopefully it stays that way. We'll pick up any further updates and be back tomorrow at 7.05. We've got Yerika Park and Inside Korea coming up next.